Welcome to the Celebration Church Podcast. We are so glad you've joined us, and we hope you are encouraged by today's message. What's up, 30? How you guys doing? You guys doing good? I can't feel it. I can't feel it. Sub 30, you guys doing good? That's how people who believe that God is who he says he is responds when we're in the house of God. So let me try it one more time. If we truly believe that God is in here tonight, and if let's act as if our praise would get us on the other side of it. Sub 30, are you guys doing good? Amen. And amen. I know ordinarily you guys may be used to us coming up and, and sharing some um, information with you, some great things that God is doing here at Celebration Church. But how many of us know that sometimes it's okay to have your regular flow interrupted by the Holy Spirit when he wants to speak to you in the moment? And I truly believe that's what God wants to do here tonight, man. I've been really laboring and praying for you guys all this week. It's really just been something that's really been on my heart and on my mind. And it's almost like this, this anxiousness that I feel inside of myself because I truly believe with all of my heart, if you can just lean in for the next 34 minutes and five seconds, that I believe that on the other side of that, there's going to be true freedom for you. So if you have your Bibles, I want to invite you to turn to Second Peter, the second chapter. Second Peter, the, the second chapter. As you're turning there, I'll give you a little bit of context as to what's going on at this time. Peter is, is one of the 12 disciples that originally walked with Jesus when he was on the face of the earth. He was part of the 12 that was part of Jesus' earthly ministry. And, and, and in this particular passage that we're about to read, we believe that Peter wrote this in about the last year of his life before he was about to be martyred as being, for being a follower of Christ. So you can imagine that if someone knows what he knew in his spirit that his time was coming to an end, it's, it's almost like his last will and testament. It's almost like these are the last words that anyone is ever going to read or know that's in my heart. So he begins to outline first and second Peter. And as he begins to outline these things, he's sharing some really strong things to us as believers. Today that we're reading more than 2,000 years later, he begins to explain powerful thoughts such as God has given us everything that we need as it relates to life and godliness. That's a powerful thought because Many of us are thinking that, well, maybe God is holding out, and if I just change my behavior, then maybe God will give me more of himself. But the reality is when God poured out his spirit upon you, he gave you all of himself. But much like a video game, you got it all, but you have to unlock new levels as you continue to be faithful and persistent. So as we continue to pursue the things of God, it opens up more opportunities and options for us. But I want to encourage somebody in here tonight, God is not holding out on you. Peter begins to unpack the theology of that. He then goes on a, a step further, and he begins to unpack some other things in regards to false teachers. Because at this time, what's going on, there's a lot of unbelievers that are radically coming against every person that calls themselves Christians. People are being killed. People are being challenged in the way that they believe things. There's all these different theologies and things that are out there. So Peter then goes on to explain, hey, man, like, I don't want you guys getting caught up in any of these false teachings. And one of those false teachings was this. You are truly blessed when your life doesn't have any drama in it. So what's happening is all these believers are looking at their lives and seeing that their friends are being martyred. They're looking at all these things that are going on, and they're under the impression that somehow I'm not within the will of God or the grace of God maybe has escaped me because my life doesn't reflect the joy and peace that these theologies are out here speaking to us. And what I've learned is that many of us as Christians, we pick up language that's not consistent with the word of God, and it's so subtle the way that we slip it in. We say things like, man, I just got me a new job. Man, I'm truly blessed. Well, that's great, and it's tr there's some truth to that, but the problem is for the person who didn't get a new job, does that mean that they're any less blessed than you are? And then we begin to place our blessing off of what we have instead of who we have. Come on, I'm just starting. I'm just starting. So, so, so Peter wanted to come in and say, like, listen, man, it has nothing to do with any of that stuff. In fact, the very fact that you are going through some things, you know how you're blessed? The fact that you can survive it. 
You know how you're blessed? The fact that you're still here. That's how you know that you're blessed. That's how you know that you're blessed. Don't allow what your material circumstances are to define whether or not you're blessed. You're not blessed because of what you got. You're blessed because of who you got. I feel like someone in here needs to hear this. This is a thought. You may be wondering and looking at your life right now and be saying to yourself, man, you know what? I'm not blessed. I don't feel like that God is with me. In fact, I'm going through some hardships right now. I'm really struggling. But here's something that I've learned as I evaluate human anatomy. Dead things don't scar, they decay. Which means this, if you have a scar, it's evidence of what you survived, not the place where you died. Don't ever let the enemy make you believe that maybe because you took a blow or maybe you had a setback that somehow that's a reflection of you decaying. The fact that you scarred means that you're still alive and that there means that God still has a purpose for your life. I haven't even got to my notes yet, but let me jump in here right now. Let's jump in here right now. And so in 2 Peter, he begins to explain and, and, and make sure that all the people that would be reading this letter, that's you and me, would understand that God is a God who rescues. God is a God who knows how to intervene and step up. And what we find in 2 Peter, the second chapter, verses 7 and 8, we see that Peter says this. He says, but God also rescued Lot out of Sodom because he was a righteous man who was sick of the shameful immorality of the wicked people around him. Yes, Lot. It says, yes, Lot. It's like as if we didn't believe it. Yes, Lot was a righteous man who was tormented in his soul by the wickedness he saw and heard day after day. I'm always fascinated when I see in the New Testament when they make reference to an Old Testament character. I'm always fascinated when I see that because it lets me know that there's the scriptures confirming and, 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 and bringing some truth to itself. But what it brings into light, this character, Lot, now, if we see that Peter saw fit to mention this man from the Old Testament as a way to encourage us as New Testament believers, then by all means, this man must be a man who was perfect. By all means, this man must have been a man who, who walked in the power and authority of God and complete freedom. I mean, by all means, that's typically who we reference. We always reference the people who did everything right. So he references this man Lot and says that God rescued him because he was righteous. That's right. He was righteous and he was tormented by all the sin and sickness that was all around his life. Well, the thing is, when you begin to look at the life of Lot, though he is defined as being rescued and righteous, he's a man who certainly was one who've had a hard time finding the proper rhythm that God truly had for his life. And what we learn about a man named Lot is something that I want to make sure that you guys are encouraged. It's possible to be in the grace of God while simultaneously being outside of the will of God. And what we find with this man Lot that even though he struggled with finding the right gear that God had for him, he was still rescued and righteous. Tonight, I want to talk to you about this idea of understanding that first and foremost, that we are rescued and we are righteous. But more importantly, how to find ourselves in alignment with the will that God has for our life. For the next 28 minutes, I want to speak to you on a subject that I've entitled Stalled. Stalled. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, God, I thank you so much, Lord, for your word. I thank you for every individual, God, that's, that's under the sound of my voice, Father, those who are watching online as well as those watching and listening on podcasts later, as well as those who are sitting here right in front of me, Father. God, I just pray for the next few moments, Lord, that you give us open eyes, God, open eyes that we can see you in areas that maybe possibly we've lost vision. Lord, I pray for open ears that we can hear you, God, even in those things that we think that you're silent. But God, I also pray for open hearts that we can receive the word that you have for us tonight. I pray all this in Jesus' name, amen, and amen. Real quick, Sub 30, just by a show of hands, how many of you guys in here know how to drive manual transmission? How many know how to drive a stick shift? 
Okay, it's a good, it's a good percentage. It's a good percentage. I see my man up here. He put his hand up with boldness, like, yeah, I know how to drive a stick shift. I'm a real man. I'm a real man. And I, and I, I got to tell you guys, man, like. To me, and it's probably just me being a little bit biased, I think that there's nothing more manly than a person who knows how to drive a stick shift. I believe that. I believe that. I know that from some of y'all. Y'all probably don't believe it, but we're going to have groups for y'all to help y'all get discipled in the ways of manual transmission. We got a group for you. And I remember early in my, in my journey, I remember there was a season when I was like, you know what? My next car is going to be a stick shift. I just made it up in my mind. So we went all the way back to 1997. I said, I'm going to go get me a brand new car. I went and got me a brand new 1997 Volkswagen Jetta. You couldn't tell me nothing. I went up to the, I went up to the, I went up to the lot. I had my little bop. I said, hey, old man, what's up? I said, I want a maroon brand new Volkswagen Jetta with a sunroof, and I got to make sure you put some rims on it and I keep them clean. I want you to make sure you put all that stuff in front of the guy's like, all right, cool, I got you. He went in the back to his inventory, pulled it up. And I was like, all right, man, it's a stick shift, right? He's like, yeah. I said, he said, you want to take it out for a test drive? I'm like, absolutely. I get in the driver's seat. I'm looking at the stick shift. I look at my man. I turn the car on and it stalls out. And he looks at me. He's like, have you, have you ever driven a stick shift before? I'm like, no, but I read an article on it. And, and I'm a learner, so it didn't look like it was that difficult. So, um, so you're going to teach me today. See, this is, a, this is the principle, guys. Y'all lean in for this. Y'all college students. When you got good credit and money, they'll do whatever you tell them to do. Anyway, I said, you're going to teach me today. And so he's like, all right, man, let's go. I'll take you off to this lot, and I'll teach you how to drive this stick shift. So he took me to this, this open lot, and we drove around, and I struggled, and I grinded the gears. I mean, I beat that car up, but I figured it out. So we get back in front of the car dealership, and he's like, all right, man, are we cool? You ready to sign the paperwork? I said, yeah, but not for that car, because I'm not concerned. I'm really concerned about that clutch, so you need to go get me another one. He's like, are you serious? I'm like, I'm dead serious. Again, when you got money and credit, they do what you want. So they went and got me another car. They brought it up front, and it was all good. I took it home, which was the most interesting ride, because here I am riding about an hour away from my home, and it seemed as if every stoplight I came to was on a hill. You ever, you ever see anybody with a stick shift and you're like, you know, like, okay, here's that moment of truth. I remember just driving and trying to drive slow when the yellow light came on. I did not want to come to a stop, but I did. And then that would be the day where people want to come up all close on your bumper. Like, listen, man, this is on you. So I'll gun the gas and then you just take off. I did that the whole ride home, just trying to get the whole mechanics down. Well, I mastered it. And as some time went on, I got really good at it. And so then, um, and then I, I, about a year or so later, this beautiful young lady had come back into my life. This girl that I went to high school with, beautiful girl. She turns out to be my wife, Megan. Hey, girl. Hey. What up, girl? So watch this. Watch this. So I, we, we, we come back in contact with one another after we graduated high school. I'm like, hey, what's going on with you? She's like, nothing. I'm like, hey, you know what? I want to come over and see you if that's cool. She's like, absolutely. It's all good. You know where the address is. I'll be waiting. I'm like, all right, I got you. So I go up and clean the rims up real nice. I put some armor all on the tires. I go ahead and make sure the car is smelling nice and fresh. Got the windows tinted. So I pull up. And as I pull around the corner, I got, I got my music blaring. I think I'm playing a little bit of Luther Vandross. Woo, woo. Y'all know about that. I'm talking about real R&B music. Woo. I'm playing a little bit of Luther Vandross. And she's sitting on her porch. And she sees me come around with my maroon Jetta rims on, all that stuff I get out. And she's like, hey. I said, hey. And she, pulled, and she walks up to the window. And she's like, is that a stick shift? I'm like, it sure is. <laughs> Yank, got her. From that moment forward, man, she was locked. She still, she still, she still on me. I love you, baby. <laughs> so what do I do? In this moment, I noticed she's so enamored 
with my vehicle. I'm like, you know what I could do? I can pass on this information because by all means, even back then, I was a teacher. I discipled people. I said, you know what? We're going to go to a parking lot, and I'm going to teach you how to drive this manual transmission. And she's like, I'm not ready for that. I'm like, you are. I believe in you. Let's do it. So we go to this parking lot, and we drive around, and she does really good. In fact, she's a, she's a better learner than me. She's just killing it. She's doing great. So I'm like, all right, girl, you know what? We're ready to take this show on the road. She's like, are you sure? I'm like, girl, you got it going on. We're going to pull on out. This is what we're going to do. All I need you to do is go to Dairy Queen. That's all we're going to do. You're going to do a great job because I still loved ice cream back then, as you can see. Anyway, so we, that, was our, that was our goal. That was our mission. We knew where we were. We knew where we were going, and she knew how to, she knew how to drive. Well, one of the things that I failed to really explain to her with clarity is when you come to a complete stop, and if you don't engage the clutch, you're going to stall out. So all the time I was teaching her how to shift the gears and all that was good, but I never explained to her what you need to do when you come to a complete stop because ordinarily we could just throw it in neutral. So here we are, we come to the edge where she's about to merge with traffic, and because of all the mechanics, she didn't take it out of gear, and so she just comes to a complete stop, and the car just stalls out. I mean, it just, it just stops. And she, you could tell that she has this moment where I'm like, okay, to me it's not a big deal, but I didn't explain it to her. So she looks over at me, and she's like, I'm never driving this car ever again. <laughs> she, completely, she completely freaks out because she, she knew where we were supposed to go. We had a destination in mind. Everything was set. There was gas in the car. We were covered by the vehicle. But as we began the journey, she came to a complete stop, and she stalled out. And unfortunately, what I believe happens to a lot of us in life is that we have a destination in sight. We have, we have a location that we believe that God is calling us to go to. But the reality is whenever those moments come where we have to come to a stop, maybe to make some adjustments, if we don't know how to engage the clutch of grace, we stall out. You know, when I look at the life of Lot, Lot is a man who, who had a very interesting journey. Lot is a man who had a very interesting background. We see, we, we, we learn about Lot from Genesis 11 all the way through Genesis 19. So I reference that because we're going to unpack a little things about Lot. I want you to go back and, and read it later, but there's a lot that I'll just be referencing, but it's all in the Bible, I promise you. There's no heresy here. So Genesis 11 through Genesis 19 is where you can pick up on some of the stuff I'm going to be sharing with you. But we're introduced to Lot in Genesis 11, and what we learn about Lot is that from the very beginning, from where we're introduced to his character, we see that he had some setbacks in life. We learned that at a very young age, he lost his father. His father's name was Haran, H-A-R-A-N. He lost his father at, at such a young age, and what we learn is that he is then now passed on to his grandfather. His grandfather's name is Terah, and Terah is now responsible for taking care of Lot. Now, you can imagine that losing a son, losing your father, and then at the same time, this is Abraham, the father Abraham that we all hear about in the Old Testament. Abraham is such a big deal that three religions claim him, Judaism, Muslims, and Christianity. So Abraham's a big deal in the Old Testament. So Abraham is Lot's uncle. They're all connected to the same family. So Abraham loses his brother, Lot loses his father, and Terah loses his son. So they're in this area, and so what happens is Terah gets this burden on his heart and says, you know what, man, we need to leave this place. This place now has some bad memories, man. I lost my son here. You lost your father. You lost your brother. How about if we just pick up and go to this other location called Canaan? He had a vision of where he felt that he was called to go. Now, real quick, you'll hear throughout the course of this message, as well as throughout any Bible story, you'll often hear references to a place called the Promised Land. And the Promised Land was an environment that God had established for God's people. It's often referred to as a place flowing with milk and honey. It's a place where God's blessings are. When you hear about the children of Israel, it was this place that God was leading his people to. 
And so for us, we all know that God has a promised land for us, but it's not a location. It's found in a person, which is Jesus. That's how we experience freedom. So promised land is a representation of what it means to live a life of walking in complete freedom. So here it is. This family has just endured some setbacks and emotional struggles. They're dealing with grief, but they're making a journey to go towards freedom. They want to get free from the setbacks. They want to get freed from the emotional turmoil. And while they're on this journey, the Bible tells us that they make a pit stop. And so in Genesis 11:31, we see that Tara picks up his family. And while they're on this journey, they make a pit stop in this community. As you can imagine, anybody does on a road trip. They stop off. Maybe they're going to get some, some fresh gas. Who knows what they're about to do? But while they're there, they're taking a little bit of a survey of the environment. Man, this is a cool little town, man. This is nice. I can imagine they're talking to some of the town's people, and they're saying, man, like, what's the name of this town, man? This is a nice little quaint environment. And they say, oh, man, the name of this town is called Heron. Wait a minute. What did you say? Heron. How do you spell that? H-A-R-A-N. Heron. Yo, this is, this is crazy. I can imagine Lot's grandfather looking at Abraham, looking at Lot and saying, what are the odds of us leaving a place of pain and finding ourselves in a city that has the same name as our deceased loved one? Wow, like this is crazy. Like, I mean, we're supposed to be going to Canaan. We're supposed to be going to a place that represents freedom, but we made this pit stop and, and we're living in a place that has the exact same name as our deceased relative. This must, this must be a sign from God. God clearly must be telling us that you were supposed to leave there, but this is where you're going to be because this is how you can honor your dead relative. And what we see in this moment is we see that the vision of ever walking into freedom doesn't happen because what it says is, is that they settled in Haran. I wonder if there's times that we forfeit the promise for the familiar. I wonder if there's times when we know that God is calling us to a place of freedom, but we end up getting very familiar with certain circumstances and we just settle. Settle for the broken, destructive relationship that you know is not any good from you, but nonetheless, I'll, I'll just stick it out. I'll settle. Maybe settle for, I'm not going to start that business, even though I know that God has given me gift sets and the skills to actually step out and do something to have an impact beyond the four walls that I'm currently in, but we settle because we're too comfortable with where we are. And as we begin to settle, we become complacent. And here's what I want you to know. I want you to write this down. Complacency is the enemy of ambition. See, when we get complacent, we begin to lose drive. We begin to lose focus. We begin to lose a desire to ever go beyond the place that we're at. So they went from this place where they had the pain and memories, and they settled. They settled for the familiar. What are the things in our lives that we're beginning to settle in? Have we ever fallen short of the thing that God has for us and we just, we just settle in it? What you have to understand about Lot is from that moment forward, the DNA of compromise was transferred into his spirit because he heard his grandfather speak about going to a place of freedom, but they learned how to settle. And he picks that up as an attribute that says that when things get comfortable, I'll just settle. It didn't take long, though. It didn't take long while they were in this environment. It didn't take long for them to experience some more hardship. Because now the grandfather has died. He's died in this place that is so familiar. He's died in this place falling short of the promise. And so now if we keep inventory, Lot has lost his father and he's lost his grandfather. And now he's being passed on to his uncle for his uncle to take care of him. Have you ever felt like you just seem to accumulate pain and just being passed from one person to the next person to the next person, but you're still not experiencing freedom at all? This is where, this is where Lot is. 
So Abraham, he gets this vision and God speaks to him and says, listen, I never intended for you to settle halfway to the promised land. I need for you to pick up your family and go to the place that I spoke to your father about in the first place. He picks up his family and they go there. And so they actually made it to the promised land. They made it to Canaan. They made it to this place that God had predestined them to be at. But it doesn't take long before famine hits. Famine means it's a lack of resources. Famine means that it wasn't feeling good anymore. So they went from a place of dealing with grief to a place of settling to now they're at the place that God's called them to be at, but they don't seem to get the warm and fuzzies anymore. I wonder if there's times in our lives when we recognize that there's a need for God. We start going to church and things are great, but then we come to a worship service and we're lifting our hands up, but we're not feeling it anymore. We just, it just, it's not the same anymore. Whatever happened, man, I used to come to Sub 30 and, and God would speak. I would get the chills. I would cry all the time. But now it's just kind of like, eh. So what Abram did in that moment is he picked up his family and said, it's a famine here. So I need to go and get my resources from Egypt. Here's another side note. Everywhere in scripture that you see the name Egypt reference, Egypt is typically associated with sin, being away from God and bondage. So now when we back up and put this all together, God had called them to this place of freedom. But when freedom didn't look good anymore, they compromised and said, I will get relief from the world. And they made a journey and they began to go to the world. And as they began to go to the world, they found themselves in Egypt. And once again, poor Lot, he saw compromise transferred into the DNA of his spirit. He saw all this take place. And now what he's picking up is that compromise is good. And this is, this is what we'll learn. This is what we'll learn when we look at what compromise does. When we allow compromise to enter the bloodstream of our faith, it dilutes our walk with God and corrupts the way that we walk in freedom. When compromise enters the bloodstream of our faith, it enters into the bloodstream of our faith and everything that they do from that point forward is through this filter of compromise. But here's what's interesting. While they're, while they're at this place, while they're at Egypt, while they're there, Abram compromises his relationship. And what happens there is that they immediately begin to get dejected and kicked out of Egypt. Now, now, why is that? God began to visit upon Pharaoh and let them know, like, hey, man, this group of people right here, they're not supposed to be here, so I'm going to bother you until you let them go. I want to let you know that once you get a taste of God, God's going to bother everything around you and let you know that the grace of God is going to radically chase you because that's not where you're supposed to be. Don't be surprised that when you have a relationship with God and you try to step back into the world that your friends don't look at you the same way, that when you used to drink it don't feel the same way because God is going to disturb everything around you to let you know that this is not where you're supposed to be. Don't get comfortable. I got freedom back for you on the other side. So now Abram gets literally kicked out of Egypt. And now he's going back to Egypt. This is where, I mean, he's going back to Canaan. He's going back to the promised land. He's going back to freedom. And now that he gets there, he gets to this place of freedom. He gets to this place where he has it all going on. But what the Bible tells us is now that they're back at the promised land, now that they're back at this environment that God had called them to the first time, that there's a conflict that arises up. You see, what we, what we quickly learn is that now that they're at the promised land, the Bible says that they accumulated so much wealth from Egypt that the land of Canaan could no longer sustain all the stuff that they brought with them. They brought a lot of stuff with them from Egypt. They brought a lot of stuff with them from the world. And now that was crowding out their ability to function together in unity in the promised land. I wonder what is the baggage that we bring with us from the world that is keeping us from walking in freedom and the things of God. 
There's times when we step into the world and we end up bringing the baggage of unforgiveness. And then we're wondering why we have such a hard time walking in freedom with the people around us. It's because we're bringing that baggage with us. We wonder why is it that we're having such a hard time truly walking in the things that God has for us because we're bringing the baggage of the world with us. And God has never intended us to carry it. I look at my son's book bag and when we went back to school, I was looking at his bag. He had a whole bunch of books. And I am like, son, what, what, is, what is all this stuff that you're carrying? You're going to get a bad back looking at all this stuff. And he said, well, some of this stuff I have to leave at school. Some of this stuff I have to leave at home. And I'm like, well, why are you carrying it all in your book bag? This, you're carrying something that you're not supposed to be carrying. And I want to let you know that many of us, we have a book bag of pain. We have a book bag of condemnation. We have a book bag of guilt, not recognizing that God never intended you to carry that stuff. This is why we have freedom groups, so that someone can come into our lives and look at all the inventory of the stuff that we've accumulated from the pain, from the bad decisions, from the compromise that says, you don't need this. You don't need that brokenness. You don't need that shame. You need that condemnation. God has freedom available for you, but you got to be willing to unpack it. They brought, they brought the stuff with them from the world that was crowding out the ability for them to truly walk in promise and unity. Well, it didn't take long where Abraham, because he's a problem solver, he looks up and says, listen, man, all right, Lot, come here. You've accumulated a lot of stuff from Egypt. I've accumulated a lot of stuff from Egypt. This ain't working. So here's my suggestion to you. I don't want no problems with you, and you don't want no, you don't want no problem with me. Shout out to Chance the Rapper. You don't want no problems with me. You don't want no problems with me, big fella. So he tells him, so he tells them, how about we do this? How about you, how about you look out and see an environment that you want to go to, and wherever you go, that's where you'll be, and for me, I'll stay here, it's all good. And what the Bible tells us is that Lot lifts up his eyes. He looks out to the environment that appears to be the most attractive, and that is where he says, this is where I want to go. The problem is, the place that he decided to go to was called Sodom. And Sodom is a place that was wicked, full of, full of sin. So what ends up happening is, Lot lifts up his eyes, he sees a place that on the surface has everything that he ever wants, but he not for one second thinks, is there a place of worship for me? Is there a place that I can truly engage the things of God? And I got to tell you, Sub 30, there's so many times I talk with so many people that are in your age group and they have job opportunities and things that come to them. And they're like, man, I'm going to make so much money. But I'm like, but where are you going to worship at? Well, I, I don't know. I'll figure that out later. Listen to me. The first priority that you have, if God is leading you to go somewhere, is you need to find a house of God that you can worship in. That's not something you stumble into. You got to find a house of God first. Because what will happen is if we go into the wrong environments, if we don't have a way to engage in community and actually make sure that we're walking in freedom, what can happen is that we end up in bondage, and that's exactly what happens a lot because the world never delivers on what it promises. See, I'm, I'm reminded of, uh, I made this, 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 this huge mistake a couple of weeks ago. I made this huge mistake, and the mistake that I made was uh, I took a nap at 8 o'clock at night. Huge mistake, huge mistake. Because, you know, when you wake up, your cycle's all thrown off. You, you know what I mean? You wake up and it's like, it's like 11 o'clock and you're like, man, what did I do? I hate my life. So now I'm up. Everybody in my house is asleep. So I say, okay, well, let me go and see if I can hop on some Madden or something like that. That'll help me to, to, to create time. So as I'm about to turn it on, I see this commercial come on. And so the commercial comes on and man, and listen, the, the burger looks so good. The, I mean, it did, it, it did. And I'm looking at it and I'm like, oh my God, what am I doing with myself? I need that burger in my stomach immediately. It's about 11, it's about 11.38. Now, I know some of y'all gym rats are judging me like, oh, man, you're going to eat something that late? Listen, we all have cheat days, okay? I have cheat months. <laughs> cheat months. You know what I mean? That's, that's kind of how I flow. Tyler, don't judge me. So I, I said, you know what? This is what I'm going to do. I'm going to go down there and go get me something to eat. Now, here, here's, here's something I need to tell you guys, Sub 30. If you're ever finding yourself at a place where you're hungry and the establishment that you're going to closes at 12 o'clock, 
and you're there at 1248, they're not going to give you their A game. I just want to throw that out there for you right now, just to kind of set your expectations. I, I pull up. I pull up at the drive-thru. And interestingly enough, there was a lot of cars that were in front of me. I mean, the lights were starting to shut off and everything. But when I finally get up to the speaker, like, I'm, I'm hearing a lot of conversation through the speaker. And I'm like, is he talking to me or not? But, like, the guy's holding on to the speaker button. And he's like, I don't know why all these people showing up. Man, don't they know that we close at 12 o'clock? I mean, it's 1250, it's 11.58 right now. I don't know what they're doing. Hey, can I help you? I'm like, no. Um, but I, I made the trip. So, hey, man, can, can, you give me that, can you give me that value meal? He's like, hey, man. We don't got no more fries. I'm like, what do you mean you don't have no more fries? That's part of the package. I mean, I see the picture right there. The fries are there. It tells me if I order a number four, I can upsize it. I got fries. I got a burger. I get a drink. I can even substitute the drink. What do you mean you don't got any fries? Like, hey, man, we don't, we're not putting any more fries down, so here's your options. I can give you a couple extra nuggets. I don't want no funky nuggets. I came here because I wanted some fries. He said, we don't got no fries. I'm like, all right, man, whatever. Just give me a couple of extra nuggets. I'll give them to my son. Anyway, so he, he, he goes ahead and, he, and I get up to the window. He said, oh, yeah, by the way, we don't have any more bacon either. What are you talking about? You don't have any more bacon. Yeah, we don't, we don't have any more bacon. So um, I'm like, man, let me, let me talk to the manager. He said, look at me. I am the manager. I'm just kidding. He didn't say that. He didn't say that. <laughs> he, didn't say that. he did say, he did say I'm the manager. Though. I'm like, are you serious? I'm like, all right, man, whatever. Just give me the stuff, man. It's all good. Whatever. So I get the bag, I'm upset, but I'm still okay, it's all good, you know what I mean? I'm gonna pray over it, it's gonna, I'm gonna imagine that the nuggets taste like french fries, that's what I'm gonna do. I get back home, and I open up the wrapping, and interestingly enough, the food that I'm looking at looks nothing like the commercial, it looks nothing like what was on the menu, and I'm looking at something that's flat, that's smashed, and really unhealthy. But I was hungry, I paid my money, so I went ahead and ate it. But as I was eating it, I was like, man, I regret this already. You ever like start eating something, you're like, man, this is not gonna end well for me. This is not gonna end well, but I'm gonna keep on going. Taco Bell, anybody, anyway, I'm gonna keep moving. So anyway, so I'm, I'm eating it, and immediately I could feel my digestive tract saying like, man, this is not gonna end well. This is not gonna be a good night for you tonight, Keith. And I ended up regretting it, man. I, I ended up regretting it in the worst way humanly possible. Now the thing is, the commercial made it look really good. Everybody that was working there, they were smiling. They were, happy to, they were happy to see you. They were happy to be there. That wasn't at the one that I went to. They were definitely depressed. This was like there was a sweatshop or something. They were looking for freedom when I got there. So not only did I have that experience, they didn't have what I asked for. And after I ended up digesting the thing I didn't ask for, I actually ended up paying for it on the back end. Can I let you know that the world, I didn't mean it that way. Good Lord. <laughs> Maybe I did, anyway. So, <laughs> that is not what I meant. Y'all, you guys need to get focused. We're in the house of God, okay? But watch this, watch this, watch this. I didn't sign up for that. I didn't, I didn't sign up to be sick. I didn't sign up for, for not getting what was displayed on the menu. And what occurs to me is that the world has a tendency to function in the same way. The world has a tendency to present to you something that appears to look good, but by the time you take it and digest it, you're going to end up regretting it on the back end. The world cannot deliver on its promises. Let me tell you the side effects of walking with the world. Brokenness, pain, suffering, all those things are associated with walking with the world. However, when I walk with the things of God, the side effects of me tasting and seeing that the Lord is good, I can walk in freedom, I can walk in love, I can walk in joy, I can walk in peace, I can walk in all the things that God has for me. Listen to me, sub 30. I want you to listen to me and write this down. The side effect of walking with the world is holes. The side effects of walking with God is being whole. You have to make a choice and say, which side do I belong to?
You know, the fascinating thing is when we look at Lot, he makes a choice based off of how it looks. And when he makes this choice, he sees that it looks really good, but it ends up leading him into a place of bondage. But the problem is when he lifted up his eyes, this is the reference that he made. He saw that the valley was well watered like Egypt or the Garden of Eden. Egypt or the Garden of Eden. In other words, he was looking at something that appeared really good, but he couldn't even distinguish if it was God or the world anymore. I wonder if there's times that we're looking up at things that we can't even recognize the voice of God in our decisions anymore, and we just get lured by how it's going to help us. There's many of us in here tonight, and you're in a place where you need to make a decision. I want to encourage you in something right now. God's grace meets you at the place of your decision. That's the first thing I need to make sure that you understand. God's grace meets you at the place of your decision. As long as your decision is in alignment with God's will, what is God's will? It's not his will that any man perish, but that all come to repentance. In other words, if I can find myself making a decision that will draw people closer to God, then God's grace will meet you at the place of your decision. What you need to understand is that God has a calling on your life, and this is why here at Celebration Church, we have our growth track where you can discover your purpose and make an impact. You can make a difference. See, what happened with Lot was that he didn't make a decision and go into this lost world with the mind of an evangelist thinking that he could reach people. He went there looking for resources to feed him, which is why the will of God was not in alignment with him. He was rescued, he was righteous, but he wasn't in the will of God and he didn't get that gear because he missed it. But if you could just look at the decisions that are in front of you and say to yourself, can I somehow bring God glory through this decision? It'd be amazing how God can use you in a godless environment to draw people to him if we posture our heart the right way. See, Lot made a decision that was gonna bring attention to himself or to increase his bank account. It wasn't long that he ended up in bondage. And when he ended up in bondage, Abraham finds out about it, he gets involved, and he actually gets him rescued. This is why this is so important. I, got, I have to say this. This is why here at Celebration Church, we believe in serving the next generation. Watch this. Lot was his nephew. He represents the next generation. Abraham heard about it, and he got involved to rescue the next generation. I wonder what it would look like if Sub-30 got involved and said, I want to do my part to rescue the next generation. I'm going to serve in a riot. I want to do my part to serve to rescue the next generation. I'm going to serve in kids. It's all about taking the freedom that God has given you and making sure that those around you and beneath you can experience freedom as well. See, Abraham got involved and he helped his nephew get free. But what ends up happening is Lot stumbles right back into the very same environment that got him into bondage in the first place. He stumbles right back into it. And so what ends up happening is God sees him in his godless environment. God sees him in his broken environment. And God says, I can no longer watch the affliction that Lot is under. And he gets to a place where he says, I need to take this place off of the map. But I can't take it off the map as long as Lot is there. Oh my gosh, you need to hear this. The place was being held back from judgment because Lot was still there. God's grace meets you at the place of your decision. You may be in some godless environments right now. You may be in a workplace right now and you're wondering, God, like, when are you going to get me out of here? Your very presence is keeping this place from being brought down into complete destruction. The grace of God that's on your life is what makes this place blessed. But God sees him, and he says, it's time for me to get you out of this situation. And God is speaking to you right now, saying, it's, you've done your job, you've done your witnessing, it's time for you to get out of this situation, but you've got to be willing to let go and walk away. The Bible tells us that Lot dragged his feet. He was a little reluctant because he established a good life from there, even though it was a place that represented bondage. So the Bible tells us that the angels come to him, and it grabs him by the hand and says, you need to get your stuff, we need to get up out of here right now. And it begins to drag him out of the city. Many of us are uncomfortable in some areas of our lives because we feel like we're being pulled away from old lifestyles. 
That's the message and the grace of God telling you that it's time for you to pack up your stuff and move on. It's time to stop allowing compromise to be the filter that you make your decisions through and begin to walk in the freedom that God has called you to walk in. He begins to stir them up. Now, here's what you got to understand. As Lot is on this journey, it's more than likely that the woman that he decided to marry was a woman that he had met while he was in Sodom. So she had a lot of association in this environment. She had, a lot of, she had a lot of relationships in this environment. So even though she was connected to Lot and they had two daughters, she was a little reluctant to leave. So Lot is on his journey. He's being led by the angel. He's being led by the messenger. He's being led by the word of God out of this destructive environment. And while he's on this journey, his wife lingers and she looks back. And the very environment that God was trying to rescue them from is the very environment that she gets consumed in consumed by her past. I wonder if there's people in our lives that we're trying to drag alongside with us, but they're so consumed by the past that's keeping us from getting to the place that God is calling us to go to. We reach those seasons of our lives where we gotta recognize that in order for me to truly help you, I have to experience freedom for myself. This is why when we're on an airplane, it tells you to put on your mask first, then to put on somebody else's, because I can't help you as long as I'm in bondage with you. I'm giving you permission. As I'm giving you permission to begin to separate yourself from some things that are completely unhealthy. Now that he'd been, he was let out of the city, can you imagine? Look at the inventory. Up to this point, Lot has lost his father. He's lost his grandfather. He's had conflict and he's separated from his uncle. And now he's just lost his wife. He's on his journey. He just lost his wife. She's been consumed by the past. And now he begins to negotiate with this angel. The angel says, listen, uh, there's a mountain up there. This is where I'm telling you to go. This is what your next steps are. This is where you need to go. He begins to look at the angels like, man, no, I, I, can't, I can't go there, man. That mountain is far too far. It's too high. I'm not, I can't go there. How about if you just let me go to this small town over here? He begins to compromise and negotiate with the angel. And the angel's like, man, fine, whatever. The thing is, the name of that small town is Zor, Z-O-A-R. What's so powerful about the name is that name literally means insignificant. We need to be careful that we don't settle for the insignificant when God is calling us to go to the mountaintops. God was calling Lot to go to the mountaintop so that he could have a broad perspective of what it means to really walk by faith and not by sight but he got caught up in the little insignificant things and didn't want to go to where God was calling him. As the worship team joins me, I wonder if there's things in our lives that God has spoken to us, areas of freedom that God is calling us to walk in, teams that he's asking us to lead, businesses that he's asking us to start, and we settle, we compromise, and we begin to get comfortable in the insignificant. You know, I'm reminded of when I was with my wife, teaching her how to drive. And when she stalled out, she freaked out. So here I am, I'm talking to her and she's like, I'm not driving this anymore. I'm, I'm getting me out of this death trap. I'm getting out. Because what she was looking at is because the car had stalled out, all the lights had come on all at once, which is kind of like disheartening because you're under the impression that the entire car is about to explode. But it's not that, it's just that, hey, the car stalled out and it's just letting you know that the sensors are going off. But from her perspective, everything was completely shut down. Everything was broken. So she's panicking. I don't wanna drive this anymore. I broke your vehicle. And I said, I said, honey, listen to me. You're stalled, but you're not stranded. All you gotta do is take the key 
put your foot on the clutch, turn it on, get it in gear, give it the appropriate amount of gas, in other words, engage the power, and you can get right back on track. Here's what occurs to me, Sub 30. Many of us, we look at the condition of our lives and we say to ourselves, I'm stalled right now. And not only am I stalled, but I'm stranded because when you look at my life, all the alerts, all the lights, everything around me lets me know that I'm stranded and I'm never gonna get back on track. And you may feel like your life looks just like this broken down vehicle right here. But my message to you is the exact same thing that I said to my wife. You may be stalled, but you're not stranded. You have the opportunity to engage and get a fresh start with the key, which is Jesus Christ, to engage the clutch of grace, to put it into the proper gear and to find yourself making yourself to the destination that God has called you to go to. I'm reminded of Peter. And when I think about Peter, this is a man who, who denied Jesus. But after he had denied Jesus, he, not, he went on to repent and he went on to preach the most powerful message where 3,000 people got saved. He was stalled, but he wasn't stranded. I, 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 think about, I think about Jonah, the man who had been running from God and he got thrown off the side of a ship, got swallowed up by a whale, was there for three days, got kicked out of the whale's stomach, landed in Nineveh, preached a message in the entire city, had gotten saved. He was stalled, but he wasn't stranded. I'm reminded by Samson, a man who had broken his covenant with God and lost his vision literally. But when he's found a way to submit and to repent, God used him to bring more victory than he did in his death than he ever did in his life. He was stalled, but he wasn't stranded. I'm reminded of my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, that on the surface, we see that he was on the cross. And when he said in his um, undertone, he said, Eli, Eli, Labala, Sanatalahi, what he was saying in Aramaic was, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And on the surface, it looked as if he was stranded. On the surface, it looked as if he was defeated. But if you only knew what was happening, under the surface. What Jesus did is he went down into the grave. He took the keys from death. He took the keys from the grave. Oh, death, where is your sting? Grave, where is your victory? I'm not only am I going to make sure that believers have access to heaven, but I'm going to make sure I take all these believers with me. He was stalled, but he wasn't stranded. I don't know what's going on in your life. I don't know what your setbacks are, but I'm here to let you know that you may be stalled, but you are not stranded. The enemy is lying to you. You are called by God. You are rescued. You are righteous in Jesus' name. Stay where you are, stay where you are. With, with every head bowed and with every eye closed, I just want to ask you two simple questions. If you're, if you're in here tonight and you will say, Keith, I'm at a place where I'm having a hard time finding the right gear that God has for me. I feel kind of neutral right now. I feel like I'm not making tractions. I don't even feel like I'm engaging the power of God. No one moving, just, just, this is just between you and the Holy Spirit. God may be bringing some things to your remembrance right now, some areas where you may not be experiencing the power of God that you want, power in your finances, power in your relationships, power in your marriage. The Holy Spirit is here to give you a fresh start. If that's you, I want you to signify it by raising a hand. Amen, amen, hands up everywhere, amen. You can put those hands down. My second question is for those of you that are in here and you would say, Keith, I do feel stranded. I don't have a relationship with Jesus right now. I feel away from God, far from God. Your next step is to simply take the key of Jesus Christ, engage grace, and get a fresh start. If you're in here tonight and you will say, Keith, man, I don't have a relationship with God or I'm away from God, but I know that tonight is the night of salvation. I want to pray for you right where you are. If that's you, I want you to signify by, by raising the hand on the count of three. One, two, three. Amen, 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 amen. 
Come on, church, let's put our hands together for those who are responding to the message. Amen. Amen. Here's what I want to do. I want to have everyone that raised their hand, I want you to come down to this altar really quick. I want you to come down really quick right now. Come on down really quick right now. Come on down really quick right now. Walk out in boldness. Walk out in freedom. Walk out in what God has for you. The Holy Spirit is here to meet you exactly where you are. Come on, church, you know what we do. If they kill coming, we still clapping. We're celebrating that people are experiencing their freedom. We're experiencing their breakthrough. We're celebrating. Come on up, come on up. You guys, come on up. You guys, come on up. In Jesus' name. Come on up. You know what's so um, fascinating? You guys, come on in. Come on in a little bit closer so I can catch you on my periphery. Come on in. You know what's so fascinating when we look at the story of Lot is that he negotiates for the insignificant. He goes to this small town, and the next thing that we hear about Lot, he ends up drunk in a cave and ends up fathering two kids with his daughters. It's a weird time back in the Old Testament. I don't want to talk about it. But he ends up fathering two children with his daughters. And that's pretty much the last we hear of him until we get to Second Peter. And interestingly enough, it still refers to him as righteous and rescued. I don't know what your setback is. I don't know what your struggle is. But the blood of Jesus, not your behavior, makes you righteous. And the grace of God rescued you from wherever you are. I want you to have that in your spirit. The second thing, the second thing I want you to, to, to be at peace with is this. Those two children that he fathered, they were the Ammonites and the Moabites. Again, I want you guys to go back and read this stuff later. But the Ammonites and the Moabites. And what we find about the Ammonites and the Moabites is that they prove to be some people that give the children of Israel some conflicts at some times. They prove to be barriers for them walking in freedom. However, both of them, both of them have proven to be a covering and actually helped to be the catalyst that allowed the Gentiles to be saved and grafted in by the grace of God. What I want you to understand is this. Romans 8.28 is true that God works all things together for the good of those who love him and who are called according to his purpose. No matter what the offspring may be of some of your brokenness and dysfunction, God will use it to bring him glory. I want you guys to lift up your hands and I want to pray for you. And all of us in here, online as well. Heavenly Father, God, you see the hands of those who are responding to this message, Lord. Father, I pray for those who are surrendering their life to Jesus. If that's you, just receive them in your heart right now. Father, according to Romans 10, Father, we believe that, that you died on the cross, Jesus, and that you were raised from the dead, and because of that, they are saved, Father. Just receive that in your heart. Now, Father, I pray for every individual in the name of Jesus, those who may feel that they have stalled out in areas of their lives, Father. Allow them to be reminded that they are stalled, but they are not stranded, and that the grace of God is for them, and that you are with them. Father, I pray that you give freedom in areas of people where they're struggling with bondage. I pray that you give breakthroughs of people who are walking in chains. I pray for healing for those who are sick. Father, I pray that in the name of Jesus, for the voice of the enemy to be made silent, God. So, Father, I pray for all of these. I pray for those online. I pray for those 
those in the seat that you show up and that your spirit does what only it can do. I bind the activity in the works of the devil in the name of Jesus, the name that's above every name. We claim victory and we stand on the fact that there's no weapon that is formed against them that shall prosper. So in the name of Jesus, we worship from a place of victory. We worship from a place of freedom. We worship from a place of a breakthrough and not from a place of bondage. So in Jesus' name, Father, we give you our worship because we're in allowing you to inhabit the praises of your people. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray and believe. Amen. Thank you for tuning in to today's podcast. For more information about Celebration Church or to get in touch with us, please visit celebration.org.